Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Join attorneys James Moore, Kevin Littlejohn, and Misty Blagg as they explore law, technology, and persuasive arguments. Sit back, relax, and listen to your Zealous Advocates. Welcome back to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. We're so glad to have you joining us today. I'm Misty Blagg, attorney here at Shipman and Wright, and I'm joined by my colleague, James Moore. And today we have a wonderful guest for you, Jen Deal. Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, and I am just, I was so intrigued when, when we started, you know, I started following you on LinkedIn because um, you really spoke to me because you did a career pivot as well. I I was in my 40s when I went back to law school. I had been in health care, um, and then all of a sudden I decided, well, what the heck, why not go to law school? Um, and why not? You, and you kind of did a different career pivot. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, so I spent the first 11 years of my career a little over 11 in big law. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, joined a smaller firm. I'm a trademark attorney, so I do uh, contentious trademark work, pre-litigation at a small boutique firm here in Atlanta. And with the extra time, I also run a coaching business on the side for women lawyers. Um, which I love. That's wonderful. Well, you know, I guess everybody, you've probably been asked this question a thousand times. Like you're at the the pinnacle of what every big law attorney decides they want to be as a partner, right? You make it a partner, you're there. And, you know, the theory is you're finally going to reap the rewards for all the hard work and billable hours you've done over the years. And then you decide to leave that. Tell us about that decision making and, and what really compelled you to make that move. Um, I think like a lot of people, I had a little bit of an existential crisis during the pandemic, um, right? We, so many of the things that we loved were really stripped away. And what my life was left with was this remote work. And it was one of my busiest years, the years of the pandemic. Um, but then I had all of this extra time to really stop and think about, do I like what I'm doing? Which I don't think we ever have the time and bandwidth to do in the way that our lives typically are. Um, and I realized I just didn't love it as much as I used to. I adore the people that I work with and the type of work was sophisticated. My clients were amazing, but I just wasn't as passionate about it in the way that I used to be. Um, and so I started thinking, you know, what, what else would I want to do? And what I really wanted for my life was a new challenge and also to create more space and time and ease. And for me, the thing that I've always loved about my career, um, in addition to my practice area and the type of work that I did was mentoring and coaching associates was always my favorite part of my job, helping them succeed and helping them do things better than I did um, and navigate the politics and just feel better about themselves in a work environment that is really hard. Um, and so kind of felt called to explore that and see what it might look like and called to entrepreneurship. Um, Running a business. That's a whole new yeah, thing, right? It's totally new challenge. <laughs> totally new challenge. And I like it. I like the challenge of this. Um, better than the challenges that I had in Big Law, which I think you find challenges everywhere, right? Right. Well, I know, James, you do a lot of mentoring here in the firm, um, and I think you do a wonderful job at that. Is that Appreciate something that, that yeah, is that something <laughs> that you enjoy? I do, you know, and, and back to some of the things, you know, Jen brought up, it, it is difficult, especially coming in as a young lawyer, to make sure you make time for yourself, you know, because you can be consumed 
apply this practice, as you know, Misty, I mean, especially yeah. in litigation itself, it becomes very stressful is things, you know, there are things that are always on your mind that have to be done. Oh, yeah. So if if you don't, you know, be intentional with making time for yourself, you can be consumed by this. And back to Jen's point, I mean, even at a small practice, because Jen, I didn't start at big, you know, a big firm. I came straight here. But even at a small practice, if you don't take time for yourself, you can be consumed. And, you know, all of a sudden you're five, 10 years in going, yeah. what am I doing with outside yeah. of, you know, practicing law? Where's, you know, am I spending time with my family? Yeah. So that was that was very important for me. And I was going to ask you this, Jen, because this is something I struggled with, you know, coming out of law school because, you know, I had the big firm opportunities, but it was a pro and con thing for me that I went through. And I was just interested, you know, did you go through that same process of, okay, you know, yes, the money looks great right. with the big firm, but what am I giving up? Uh, you know, in my personal life, if I if I go that route, route was that something that you had to you know you struggle with when you made your decision? I love that you actually considered it. I didn't think about it at all. So <laughs> I went to law school. I, I kind of went to law, not on a whim, but I had always thought that I wouldn't be a lawyer because uh, I was one of those kids that was real argumentative, and everyone told me I should be. And so sure. of course I was like, well, I will never be a lawyer because you told me I should be. <laughs> um, ultimately, ended up going. Uh, coming from a small public school in South Georgia. And my goal was just to be in the top 50% of my class. And so once I surprised myself and did really well, and these opportunities opened up to me, I just took the path because it was offered and it was sold to me as this is the best and greatest path. And I I don't regret that I did it because I I love where I ended up and I loved my firm and my group. Um, But I was not thoughtful about it in any way, shape or form. And I think that a lot of law students aren't right? Because you've got all of that debt and we've got all of this yes. prestige mindset and this sure. version of what success looks like. And so uh-huh. I think I love that you were thoughtful about it. Um, and I think that if I had been, maybe I would have made a different decision, but I don't you know, regret it in hindsight. Well, I don't know why I was, to be honest with you, but it, you know, <laughs> uh, just, you know, I, I actually worked for this firm um, prior to going to law school. So I had an idea of what the smaller, yeah. you know, law firm looked like. Yeah. And, and and you hear from and you everyone. had, you know, uh, lawyers in your family. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you got you got a picture of that. I know I had no lawyers in my family. Yeah. I go and I go to law school. And like you, Jen, I, I was shocked that I did really well. And I ended up getting an opportunity to go to a big law firm. And I love your posts about what you tell associates, because I was t- told none of that. Right. It was just shock and awe. And, you know, a year and some change in, I was like, this is not why I went and did a second career. Like, this is not what I want. Um, And then made the pivot to something that that feels much more like a work home for me. Um, But, but you give some great advice. Associates should follow you because it just really depends. Some firms have great mentorship and they're being told that. And, and it can even be a firm with different departments and some have good mentorship. Some do not, but if you're not getting some of this information, it's very difficult to navigate, um, all those complexities. Well, and it's, it's personality too, because, you know, I was one that I don't, you know, Gary, Gary uses the the term potted plant. I, I'm not a very good potted plant where, you know, some people enjoy the transactional stuff where you right. know, you're, you're sitting in an office, you're doing the work, you send it to someone else and someone else is really handling whatever it is, deposition, yeah. arguments, things like that. And I, I knew early 
that really wasn't me. <laughs> I, I like to I like to talk with the clients. I, I like yeah. to interact with people. Um, so that's something else. I mean, personality wise, as a as as a law school student, you just need to know what are you more comfortable with because right. because look, I mean, especially and Jen, I, I think you will attest to this too. In litigation, even if it's a mediation, if your personality isn't the type where you enjoy those settings where people are going to be listening to you, maybe that's not the right kind of course, at least initially for you. But, that, you know, those are all things that you need to consider, in my opinion, in making the decision of, OK, where am I going to go? What yeah. kind of law firm am I going to be at when I when I finish law school? I think you have to be thoughtful about that. Right, Jenna, is that do you do you ever have? Um, attorneys coming to you and just really feeling lost about what kind of work pleases them most and what kind of practice area, you know, they should be thinking about? Yeah, I have a lot of people because of the pivot that I made. I think that when you're thinking about coaches, we often go to the people that whose story we connect with. And so I end up working with a lot of people who are feel like they're at sort of a crossroads. Yeah. Either they're like me, and I see this a lot, especially for law firm associates where they're, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh year junior partner, and they're just now stopping to think, oh, hey, is this right. what I want? Um, and I think the interesting thing is there's there's going to be things that we are just naturally good at and maybe inclined to, but I think there's also things that we could get better at and enjoy more mm -hmm. if we had the coaching or if we had the mindset work that we need, right? Because I litigated and I'm not a person who loves... Um, I want to say arguing, but I don't love some of that stuff. Sure. Yes. Um, the the contentious piece of it, but I loved the rest of it. And there are ways to retrain the way that you think about yourself, retrain the way that you think about other people so that you can get better and feel better about those things that you want. So I think it's sort of a two-pronged approach, you know, what feels good to you naturally, but also don't discount the thing that you want because you think you aren't good enough at it or you can't have it because I don't think that's no, that's a great thing. I hated public speaking before law school. Like I would just physically get feel sick before I would do public speaking. And what I figured out in law school, I would just push myself and push myself to take those opportunities. And the more I did it, the more comfortable I felt. And there's still times, the situations where I feel that those jitters. Um, but each time it gets easier. And I think one of the things I worried about, will people care about what I have to say? You know, it was that self-doubt leaking mm -hmm. in. Um, and so how do you kind of coach on self-doubt and, and working through those emotions? That's a great question. Well, the first thing that I think that we have to do is normalize it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know any lawyer who does not have self-doubt. And of course you have self-doubt, right? Anytime we try and right. do something new, anytime we challenge ourselves, we're going to have that doubt. It's just part of being human. And the nature of our job is that you never get perfect at it, right? There's always yep. something new to be learned. There's something new that comes up in a case or a matter that you've never experienced before. There's always something new. And so there's always going to be that little bit of self-doubt. So first things first, like totally normal emotion. Yep. Um, if you're not feeling it, you're probably not challenging yourself in any way, which That's is fine. A great point. Great but point. if you want to be challenging yourself, self-doubt just comes with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other piece of it is get really clear on the way that you are talking to yourself. So our brain has a negativity bias, which means it automatically focuses on negative events, negative feedback, um, anything that it perceives as negative. We actually remember more. We experience more fully. Um, we pay more attention to it. And so your brain is always going to go back to those 
I'm not good enough. People are better than me. Maybe they're going to think I'm stupid. All of those thoughts that you've been thinking for a really long time, Mm -hmm. your brain is going to go back to those unless you intentionally redirect it. And so you've got to think about how do I want to talk to myself a little bit differently? And I don't think you go from I'm a terrible lawyer to I'm an amazing lawyer. It's got to be incremental steps. Like if you think I'm really bad at this, is it possible that I'm not as bad as I think? (laughs) To me, it's a better incremental step that I'm actually really awesome at this. So really getting clear on how am I talking to myself and how can I tweak it just slightly and be more intentional about that. I really wish Kevin was here right now because Mm. I don't think he has any (laughs) self-doubt. It's funny. Some people—that's fair. Some people don't. I can think of a few attorneys where if they told me they did, I'd be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. I actually call it, and I learned this from a colleague um, and another firm that I interned with, John McCabe, and he used to call it the stinking thinking. You have to uh, get rid of the stinking thinking. <laughs> well, Jen, you brought up a, a a good point too about the the self doubt because you know, and Misty, I know you you see this too. You know, our senior partner here, Gary Shipman, he is an incredible advocate. Oh, so good. And, you know, I, I tell everyone he's he's the only person I know if I go to a funeral of someone that I didn't know prior to their passing and he is speaking, he would probably make me cry. Like he has a way with words that, you know, just will will affect you. And so coming in as a law, young lawyer and seeing him and how, you know, he did these presentations, mm-hmm. how he could tell a story every single time yeah. he got in front of a judge, you know, you're thinking to yourself, I can't do that. I can't. So how am I going to create my personality the way that I present in a way that fits me? Because I know for certain I can't do that. I've got to do it a different way. I can only be the best Misty I can be. I kind of had that crossroads as well. Like, you know, I've known some great attorneys and I just, that's not who I am. Like there's some, there's some people that say, you know, when you're exchanging emails and litigation, like, don't be nice. Don't seem nice. Well, no, I'm a nice person and I'm going to be nice. That doesn't mean that I'm going to give in to everything you want, but I'm just not going to be, you know, uh, a mean and make it contentious where it doesn't need to be. I think that's a great point. So how, I'd be happy to be on the other side of you, Misty. That's my favorite kind of lawyer to litigate against. I've, I've <laughs> got to ask, Jen, yeah. I, Jen, I have to ask this, and I'm probably going to open a can of worms with this question. Oh, but, Lord. You know, I see the coaching women. Yes. So, so, so why are we strictly coaching women? Is it because men just are uncoachable or <laughs> give, give, give me, give me your thoughts on that. What, what, what just yeah. keeps you in, I guess, that realm, if you will. Listen, if you are a man and you want coaching, I've got some great coaches out there for you. Um, for me, I think, I think that human brains have a lot of the same issues, right? All humans procrastinate. We all have self-doubt. I think when we get smaller and get to lawyers, we have even more of the same crossover in the way that we're thinking and the issues that we deal with. The reason I like to work with women, not only because that's my lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that I focus on in my coaching is the way that people who are socialized as women are socialized, right? So the beliefs that they get taught. So for example, women are often socialized to be nice and kind, um, and to put their head down and follow all the, all of the rules, right? As girls, it's, oh, it's very Lord, I know. Mm-hmm. right. The, the sort of good girl programming that I think a yeah. lot of women. Get. And so, when I'm thinking about one of the issues that 
maybe men also deal with, all lawyers deal with, that socialization impacts women differently. Sure. So I think that when we're thinking about like advocating for yourself in the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, saying no to that office housework that women often. Oh, I got in a lot of trouble for that, Jen. I said no to it. I had had enough. Yeah. And And that's um, the thing is like, there are consequences for going against that socialization. And Mm -hmm. so the work that I do focuses on how is that socialization impacting the way that you show up? Right. Is it having you people please? Is it having you procrastinate? Is all that perfectionism in there? Right. Are you not advocating for yourself in the way that you want? And how do we really um, untangle that and have you showing up more in the way that you want and doing the things that you want and asking for the things that you want and creating the career that you want without letting that unconscious socialization get and just and just to be clear, it wasn't at this firm. It was at a previous firm. But but um, I also just you know, it, it's just hard to navigate those issues. And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, I think this is the value in coaching is that, no, it's okay to be upset about this. This is something to be okay yeah. because yeah. the people trying to to give you all the housework, they're saying, well, you just got to be a team player. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm, I, I'm, I've gone to school. I'm a lawyer. I can do more than just set up appointments, you know? Right. And, and for me, I just need somebody to say, no, Misty, you should be upset by that. You know, you yeah. should be, you should be getting more work. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of that permission to say, okay, it's time for me to, to push back. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, you know, with women, do you think there's some unique kind of communication styles to women and, and are there some things that women need to, to push themselves to do a little different? Yeah. You know, I think it's such an interesting question because when we think about sort of any kind of, um, general assessment or statement along gender lines, we're always going to find examples of people who do something different, right? Like right. if I think of a male partner who does something, I can easily find you a female partner I worked with who communicates or shows up in a very similar way. The thing that I think is interesting when I think about this question is I think that women probably spend a lot more time thinking about the way that they communicate, <laughs> thinking about the way that their communications are perceived and going to be perceived um, because of some of these biases and because of some of these expectations that people have, even the people who love us and are really well-intentioned, right? Those sort of implicit biases that both women and men have. Um, So I think that we spend a lot more time thinking about that and worrying about, did I say the right thing? What do they think about me? Are they going to be upset with me? Uh, Does this email strike the right tone? And so to me, it's more about what is the mental, the wasted mental energy that is going into all of that extra focus you're putting on what other people think about you. Yes. And I think when I was I was in, you know, a place I wasn't happy, you know, I wasn't uh, feeling, you know, nurtured and and all that stuff. I I thought a whole lot about that. Every email was, you know, just painstaking because I wanted to make sure to strike the perfect tone and to do all this. And it is a waste of energy. I just remember being exhausted by feeling that I had to be somebody that I was not. And, and I think, I think a lot of women feel like that, honestly. Yeah. And I'm sure there are men that do too. Like, I don't, this is one of those things where, um, I think there are a lot of men who are really thoughtful about this and worry about the same sorts of things. I just think that the socialization women get is different. And so the likelihood that a woman is spending more time thinking about it is probably higher. Yeah. That's, that's insightful that Mm -hmm. that you both say that because I, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking as y'all talk about Mm -hmm. me sending an email 
And that's probably the last thing I think about. That's is, amazing, is, isn't it? The is difference. How, how many exclamation points you used? <laughs> yeah, or, you know, whether, yeah. whether it's in caps or, you know, how someone takes that email. It, it, you know, my personality is I'm, I'm sorry that that offended you. I mean, if it did. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that, that, you know, you're constantly thinking about that. Now, don't get me wrong. Like when I'm when I'm in my adversarial mode well, yeah, sure, and, and sure, want to sure. write something, I will I will back off. Uh-huh you know, let's, let's come back to it. Let's read it again. Let's make sure this is appropriate. But, but when it comes to arguing, like if I'm in, a, in front of a judge or a jury, I will tell you that I, I do think of that a lot because, you yeah. know, Misty, Misty yeah. and I have talked about this in the past. I would love to have that ability to be nice all the time in how I interact with, with, you know, opposing counsel, with the judge, with a jury and and have the effect that I want, but right. sometimes I, I feel myself, Jen, get over the top. You know, I'm in the middle of my argument going, okay, James, you're now screaming at the judge. <laughs> what are you doing? Because, you know, it's it, it's really your emotions coming out, but yes. when I yeah. get that way, I get even more argumentative, I feel like. Yeah. And I'm just like, gosh, I wish I could I could have that laid back kind of tone and let the judge know what's going on without just, you know, being over the desk, like just, you know, talking <laughs> yeah. and, and being over the top. Uh, but it's interesting just from an email standpoint yes. to, to the presentation. I, I think about it a lot more in my presentation versus, you know, just sitting back emailing someone. Oh, That's I know. Funny. And I spent, you know, a lot of my career being told I was a very direct person. My mother is French Canadian and, and has this, that's just how we grew up communicating. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a bad thing for a woman to be a direct person. I don't know how many comments I ever got. And I just had to get over caring about it. Like, yes, I'm a direct person. That doesn't mean I'm, you know, mean or anything like that. That's just my communication style. Yeah. And it's funny too, like just receiving emails. Now, yeah. now that I think about it, <laughs> like if 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 a if a, a male attorney sends me an email mm-hmm. that is, you know, a little, I'll, I'll call it candid. Yeah. I, 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 my position is, well, that's expected. I mean, it's expected from. Yeah. But if a a female lawyer, oh, female yeah. attorney does that, it's like, well, why is she so mad at me? Why so you know, mean. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why is she? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just weird how. You, yeah, you know, but it's, I think it's really important to recognize that stuff, right? Because I think, and it's true of women too, right? We have the same expectations of women sure. that men do often, because we've been also told that women are supposed to show up a certain way. And so I do find like even thinking about sort of the mentoring we were talking about earlier and the relationships between, you know, female associates and female partners, female associates often have those same biases and they have these really high expectations of the way female partners should show up and the way they should treat them and the way their mentorship should look. And so it's just really interesting to start noticing you know, for yourself, where do I have these biases? How are they impacting me? Where do I want to be shifting them? Um, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Well, I loved your blog on, um, let's see, I'm probably going to murder. I'm, I'm terrible at pronouncing the catastrophizing. 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 I, need <laughs> I should have picked a different word, but now I I write about it so often that it's 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 easy for me. But yeah, it's a it's a mouthful to say the least. It is. My, I'll just tell a quick funny story here about 
words. My mother could never pronounce sea anemone. Look, I, mm-hmm. I can't either. And we always had a saltwater fish tank. So I think I've inherited her, her terrible ability to um, enunciate things and pronounce them. But tell us a little bit about because I think attorneys across the board, this is an issue for us. Yeah, totally. So catastrophizing is really um, when your brain goes to the worst case scenario and you just spit in it, right? Um, And of course, I think we're taught to do this in Mm -hmm. law school to go to that worst case scenario, right? It's how graded is can you issue spot and find all the things that'll go wrong. It's a useful skill as an attorney to be able to think about what are the risks for my client? um, What are the worst things that can happen here? How can we prevent them? All of those sorts of things. But the difference to me is that when you're catastrophizing, you're not problem solving. So it's that you get the email from your boss that says, can we talk? And your brain is immediately like, I'm going to be fired. And you just stay there in that space until you have the conversation. Um, and so uh, the thing that's interesting to me is that our brain, when we're thinking about future issues, like I'm going to get fired, they're going to be mad at me. I'm going to lose this case. It can't tell the difference between now and then uh-huh. between now and future. And so when you are thinking those thoughts about the future and you're spinning in them, you're experiencing it right now. So if you don't get fired, you get to have had the experience of how you would have felt being fired because of the catastrophizing. Ah. Um, and I think it's something that lawyers, of course, tend to do, and it, it never serves you because you're never in a problem-solving mode when you're yeah. catastrophizing. That's so great, but how do we reprogram our brains mm. to stop doing that? Um, so if you yeah so i you definitely go to my website i've got a whole little workbook on this i'll tell you my favorite tool though um yeah, yeah. two favorite tools so the first one is to take it all the way to the end play it out right okay. so when we catastrophize we tend to go to the worst parts that our brain can imagine so the actual getting fired part right because that we have a lot of thoughts about getting fired and the shame and embarrassment of that but we don't go past that all right, so you get fired, what would you do? Do you think you'd be able to find another job? Mm-hmm. Do you have savings you can rely on? Do you have a parent or a friend's couch you could sleep on if you really had to? Like, actually play it out so that you are doing a little bit of problem solving and creating some safety. The other thing I like, and my husband actually introduced me to this um, tool because I'm very good at catastrophizing, um, <laughs> is three questions. What's the worst case scenario? So that's the one that you're already spinning in. Okay. And then what's the best case scenario? Mm-hmm. And then what are the most likely scenarios? And this is not to get you to believe that the best case scenario is going to happen. That's not going to happen, especially with lawyer brain. It's to just open up the idea that the worst case scenario isn't inevitable and to create a little bit of space that that thing is may not happen. Right. And so yeah. when you do that and you can calm your nervous system a little bit, then you're going to be much more of you're going to have much more ability to actually solve the problem that needs to be solved or to move on if it's something that doesn't need to be solved right this minute. Yeah, I'm going to try that. Well, um, and it's, it's funny too, Jen, you, you bring that up because, you know, I, I catch myself all the time. I mean, let, let's take a contract, for example. Mm-hmm. When when I'm reviewing a contract, what I'm what I'm searching for is the worst case scenario. If, right. if, if I don't, you know, I'm reading a paragraph or I'm, I'm, I'm reading a section that I think is, you know, ambiguous. Right. Okay. What's the worst case scenario if we keep this just like it uh-huh. is? So mm-hmm. it's a, it, it's an interesting concept because I think at times 
you know, as again, a litigator where yes. you've litigated a ton of contractual disputes and you recognize things when you're reading the contract, you're going, okay, well, here's what could potentially happen if we leave this just like it is. Uh-huh. Um, so, so there's, there's the one side of it where I feel like you it's need helpful. it. Yeah, yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful totally in, in, in reviewing things or, or talking, you know, you're advising a client, Hey James, Hey Misty, here's mm-hmm. the scenario. What do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, that's what you're getting essentially paid to do. Yeah. Like here, here's the worst case scenario in your but situation. But is it, well, I, I, sometimes I wonder, is that really like, are, are we, is that valuable to our client to give them the worst case scenario? Like I, I'll give this example is, you know, I was reviewing this one contract. There was a clause there that I felt would never be enforceable if somebody actually disputed it and took it to court. And I was talking to the client about it and they were like, well, look, Missy, we've never had anybody dispute this clause and we feel like it's very valuable. I said, well, look, it's not illegal to have it in there. Just know that if anybody chooses to um, dispute it, you're likely not going to win in court. So, um, Sometimes I wonder if we take it too far. I know sometimes I feel like I do. And then I have to quickly draw back and say, well, part of this is a business decision, right? Um, But I think the the point you're making is important, James, that we need it. We need this catastrophizing in a certain respect. But then when it, it comes to our personal life and our personal emotions, maybe we need to consider that we need to reprogram our brain just a little bit. There. Well, and yes. pre- it's, preparation. It's yeah, yeah, preparation for hearings and, mm-hmm. and trial. I mean, Jen, I, I, that's that's where my mind always goes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose this case yeah. because of this yeah. this specific, you know, yeah. Uh, issue or, or whatever. And, and that is, you know, I, I try to teach my kids all the time, like, let, let's look at the positive of everything that we're doing. You know, it's raining outside. Okay. What's the positive of that? Yeah. Because yeah. we're always looking at the negative things and, and, you know, then I put myself as a lawyer <laughs> and that's all I'm Practice doing. I'm looking at preach. a negative. So. <laughs> Well, I need to be coached, Jen. I need to be coached. <laughs> I love it. Well, I want to talk about, I love your uh, associate survival guide, you know, kind of you, you you teach these different sessions. And so I just want to go through like some of them because there are some skills that I learned that have nothing to do with practicing law, but they're just very valuable in the practice of law, like how yeah. to how to manage your, your calendar. Jen, give mm. me your best tip. I know you don't want to give away the whole course, but give me yeah, your best. Totally fine. I'm always happy to give away this stuff for free because I want people to um, enjoy their jobs better. Um, yeah. So I think to me, the number one thing that really changed the way I approached time management was learning how to time walk. And so okay. essentially what that is, is where instead of relying on a to-do list where you're kind of picking stuff off because you, uh, whatever has the closest deadline or whatever um, is the easiest, you actually put things on your calendar. So if I'm drafting a motion for summary judgment, mm-hmm. the drafting goes on my calendar. That's great. Uh, lunch goes on my calendar. My meetings go on my calendar. And that way you get a visual picture of how much you are trying to fit into your week because lawyers are constantly trying to fit a week's worth of work into a single day because our brains underestimate how long things are going to take us. And so when you inevitably don't get the thing done that you wanted to get done, then we beat ourselves up over it. And there's no point in that. It's just that you were trying to fit too much work into the time that you had allotted. And so when you start time blocking, you can really get a visual picture of this is all, these are all the things I'm trying to cram into this week. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Um, and make adjustments from there. 
That's a great point. I, I actually worked under an attorney um, at a previous firm that did time blocking. He was just super efficient. And it, it's something that I want to do. I'm not really good at it right now. I'm more of a to-do list person. But I yeah, think I tend, my problem is, is that I'll, I jump from task to task, you know, and sometimes that's really hard to keep up with your billing too, yeah. right? Did you know it takes nine to 23 minutes for your brain to task switch like that? Yes, I do. I, and, yeah. and people don't realize yeah. that, Jen, when they knock on your door Ooh. and, and you're yeah. like, okay, well, that brief, you know, I got another hour before I jump back on that one. UTS charged. So true. So true. So true. Okay, James. Well, time block and then I won't bother you. Good point. <laughs> also, well, what's my best uh, calendar management um, tip? I think it would just be um, to even put personal things on there, right? Like if mm, I absolutely. if I need to leave early to go spend time with my kids or if, if I need to, to do different tasks, I think it's important just to put it on my calendar. I know a lot of I people. I think first. Put those on there first and yeah. everything else around it. Yeah, because, you know, when, it, 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 maintaining that balance is so essential, I know, for me. Um, and it, it, I'll hold myself accountable to it. It's even like business networking. I make sure I put, like I did a client visit the other day where I took, you know, holiday goodies, which is something I absolutely love to do. And um, I put it on the calendar and I made it happen because I have to hold myself accountable to stuff like that. How about you, James? Do you have any tips? You've been doing this a long time. I don't. I, look, I, 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 am, I am one of the, the worst organized individuals. I, I, I go on a whim. I mean, I, I, I do try to schedule things. I mean, the time block never have never done that before. I love the idea. Um, but, you, you know, personal time, I, I just make it intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't necessarily put everything on the calendar, but, you know, there is a time of the day that I'm going to be gone. I want to yeah. see my kids. I want I want to put them to bed. So I'm going to do everything I can to do that as much as I can, because yeah. I don't want to look back on this time and say, where was their dad? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So and, and that was advice that was given to me when I was young. And, and I think it's been helpful where I just I just try to be intentional about things like, you know, the gym. And yeah. Kevin would have probably already talked about the gym for I don't <laughs> oh, know, three hours. Oh, what what minute are we into? But, the minute 38 but, and the but, gym comes up. But that, you know, that is that is my thing. That is that is yeah. one of the selfless or I guess selfish acts that I do. Yeah. And, and I'm intentional with that time because I, you know, I need it. I need it for my just mental health, yeah. to be honest with you. Jen, don't you tell, is that one of the things you'll, you'll coach people on? It's okay to be selfish at times. I think it's, yeah. So I think it's absolutely okay to be selfish. And James, I love what you said. Cause I think the sort of stepping stone to that is when you think something is selfish, you can almost always come up with a reason why it isn't right. Yes. That time for you with the gym, same for me, like getting in the moving my body makes me a better attorney. It makes me a better wife. It makes me a better friend. Um, and so really, I think there's almost always some way we can categorize it as not being entirely selfish, sure. but there's absolutely nothing wrong with being selfish, right? You have to live in this body. You have to live with this brain, uh, taking care of it and making sure your experience is good and enjoyable. To me, it's just something everyone does. Well, and I'll just say this. Stress will do crazy things to your body if you're not selfish. Oh my gosh, yes. I remember my twins were three. My mother had just passed. It was, it was very sudden with cancer and everything. And I just felt the weight of the world. Finances were tight because... Because, you know, um, 
we're raising two kids and daycare and everything. So, and I was starting to have physical issues with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went to the doctor and she, luckily she was a mother of three and she sat me down and had a talk with me. She said, you have got to start prioritizing you because all of these symptoms you have are stress. Mm. And it was just unbelievable to me that the stress could be causing that. But sure enough, a year later, all those things were gone because I started making time for me. Mm-hmm. Have to. So, I mean, that's a lesson to everybody out there. I know life is crazy. We have lots of things. But being selfish about time that you need to spend with you doing things that de-stress you is valuable. Absolutely. Well, okay, so we're, we're going on to managing your inbox. This is something that I'm, I'm being more intentional about now. Like, we're, we're sending out some emails, and I'm, I'm setting rules so that I will send, if it has a certain subject, it sends it to a certain email box. So I'm not checking for those things all day long. Mm. I just think that was the best thing. One of the best things I learned. What's, what's one of your tips, Jen? So my sort of a one-two punch of turn off the notifications. So the little red bubble on your iPhone, the Outlook thing that pops up and set specific times to check your emails. Now that's going to depend on some practices. You may live in your inbox a little bit more. And so you need bigger blocks of time. Mm -hmm. But when we're thinking about that task switching thing that James and I were talking about earlier, if you are constantly back and forth between drafting a brief and looking at your email or reviewing documents and looking at your email, you're losing so much time. You have to do so much work. You just now have less time to do it because you have to spend more time doing it, right? Because you're spending so much time task switching. And you may have exceptions to that, right? Like if I'm filing a summary judgment motion on a day, I'm not going to not be in my email because there's going to be a million changes, all of that. But can you, for the most part, 75% of the time, 80% of the time, turn off those notifications and and pick specific times during the day when you're going to actually check your emails? I'm putting that one on my list. I'm guilty of that, really. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to just live in your inbox, but it's so useless. How about you, James? Do you have any? I, I turned off my notifications Did you? on my phone. I, I I don't you know if I'm if I'm not here. I, yes, I can check it anytime. Yeah, I want, sure. But I, I don't get the constant because I know what'll happen. I'm going to read. <laughs> You're going to look, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, it's ten o'clock at night, and yeah. And anyway, I so I I've done that, and then the only other thing I do is, especially case specific, I make individual you know, files mm-hmm. in my yes, inbox like for those, uh, for those emails. And I try my best, like once I'm, I'm done with a task mm-hmm. that goes from my inbox to that file, it's done. I've, I've obviously saved it, but it's in the client's file if I need to pull it up later, but it's no longer in my inbox where I'm having to constantly see it yeah. because that look, I mean, you both probably know if as those emails start racking up in your inbox, that causes anxiety because you're going, yeah. where, where do I even start? Yes. So I try to drag them over to whatever specific file and you know it's out of the way. That's a good one. Do you, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's one of the things I teach. Perfect. It's yeah. Smart. Um, do you know how to set a rule to send it to a certain file? I, I don't do I'm that. Te- I, well, I, because I, I don't. If I'm moving it over there, then you've that, acknowledged that means it. I've acknowledged it. And if it is a task, I've done it. So I want to be the one to gotcha. actually move it. That's that makes just, sense. That makes sense. Me. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to talk about our favorite technology products that can help our day. Um, Jen, do you have any? 
A couple. So one, um, I haven't actually tried this one, but I work with a lot of folks with ADHD. And if they want to try time blocking, this really works for them. I think uh-huh. it's called Motion. Motion. So it's an app where you can essentially put your to-do list in it along with the t- amount of times that you think or the amount of hours you think it's going to take you. And it will do that time blocking for you, which is really cool. Wow. Um, That's for neat. me personally, I'm a little low tech. I actually <laughs> just recently got into using my iPad with the Notability app. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know what you're talking about. And then a paper-like cover, so it feels a little bit more uh-huh. like the remarkable or whatever that um, other one is. And so I really thought you'd have to pry a paper legal pad out of my cold, dead hands. But I really have started to love using Notability and having that electronically. You know, I tried that. I honestly, I, I don't know if it's Notability. It was a, a different one, but it kind of had the same where it resembled uh, yeah. an actual notebook and, and using my I, Apple Pencil. I just, I haven't been able to make myself do it yet and to, to do it well. Cause I really, one of my goals for this next year is to journal. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've heard, I hear a lot of people that do it. Um, yeah. and I think that that's something that would, would help me with my day. Good notes. I think that's what mm-hmm. I used. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it looks fabulous, but I was like, I just, I couldn't make myself do it. I okay. did. I couldn't at first either. I had to get that paper like cover cause the way the Apple yeah. Pencil feels on the glass is just gross. Yeah. So, oh, so what it, tell me about this paper like cover. It's the, the brand is literally the paper like, and uh-huh. it's just a glass cover that goes on top. So when they, oh. when you use a pencil, it feels much more like you are using a pen. Oh, um, this is super paper. cool. Oh, Tom, Tom brought it. it. Yes. Tom brought it to us. I'm nice. getting one of these. Yeah. So you just stick it right to your, your screen. Yeah. That's yeah. super cool. Okay. Cool. Well, try it out and see if that makes it feel any different. To you. I, I'm, game changer for me. I'm putting it on my Christmas list. Um, let's see. I love OneNote. I don't think a lot of people yeah. u- use it because it can do. Sorry, Tom. It can do so much. Um, like I can, I can have something on OneNote and just send an email, and it sends it. You know, the whole thing on that page. I, I think one of the things with lawyers is they don't want to take the time that learning curve to invest mm-hmm. in technology and and let it help us it's, it's the, just it's e- the change misty it's the change <laughs> that's right it, we it, hate it it's like when when the iphone <laughs> you know has an update it's like why why you you completely changed the functions of what i was using no we don't like it yeah we don't I, like it. I absolutely love one note it, it is essential um for me and my my oldest daughter was a project management engineer for a while and she it was just amazing the things she built out mm-hmm. in one note to yeah. help her mm-hmm. now james here i've been teaching him this week about you some teach Excel. me everything Misty. <laughs> I, I, you know how how you're so technology savvy i have no idea oh. but, uh, but no i i don't look the 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 less is better for me but i, yeah. I know there there are plenty of ways that could be more efficient and i just I hate change. I know it's hard. Change is hard. Change is hard. And um, I definitely didn't learn my skills from when I, from being a lawyer, I was, it was my former life in corporate America and being an an investigator and stuff. So so you have to be efficient. I really feel like I wish law schools or there would be more programs catered to teaching lawyers. Just, I mean, just think about Microsoft Word, like how many styles, how many things. If you set templates, you can really help yourself. But we don't have time or make the time to learn those skills. I do have one app I use, Miss. Oh, yeah, let's hear. It's Notepad. 
Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I wake up at three in the morning, I think I have this brilliant idea. I'm like, oh, let's put that in the notepad. That's that's about the only thing I use. I love that. Until you wake up the next day and you're like, what was I? Yeah, that that doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) I'm sure this was brilliant, but I don't know what this is. Oh, that's so funny. I'm I'm impressed by you, James. I appreciate it. Well, I want to talk about your, just for a little little bit, your um, subject area, your practice area, which is trademarks. Am I stating that correct? You are correct. So I feel like so many people don't know this. Tell us the difference between the little TM and the R with the circle around it. Um, So the R you get to use if you have a trademark registration. Um, The only way you can use it is once you get that registration. So not an application. You got to have the actual piece of paper from the USPTO. The TM is essentially you telling people we claim trademark rights in this which is fine because trademark rights come from use. You don't have to have the registration in order to have rights, in order to sue people, in order to ask them to stop using your mark. Um, it's use in commerce of the trademark. And so that little TM lets people know, hey, I don't have a registration, but I do claim trademark rights in this. So don't Perfect. Perfect. Because I think a lot of people don't know that you automatically, when you have a new you know, name of your company in special font, whatever, you automatically have your trademark in the area you're using it. You don't have to do anything else, right? That's right. So yeah, what's benefits of that registration, but you don't ever have to have one. Right. So what are the benefits of registering your trademark? So some of the benefits are um, you get some presumptions. So presumption of ownership, nationwide validity, mm-hmm. it kind of holds your place in line, right? So that people who want to start using the same thing or something similar after you already know that we've got this, like, even if I'm just in California and Washington, but eventually I want to be in Georgia and Florida and nationwide, it kind of holds that place for you so that you can expand um, your business. Also, if you're going to send a cease and desist letter, a registration just looks good. Um, And then lastly, the thing I think is underestimated about it is trademarks are intangible assets, right? When you have the registration, it increases that. So if you're thinking about selling your company or taking out a loan, that registration can actually act as collateral or has additional value when you're thinking about selling your business. That's wonderful. So and also a service mark. Tell us about the difference between a trademark and a service mark. Yeah, so trademarks sort of a catch-all term, right. um, but there are different types of marks. So if you're thinking about goods versus services, so I'm selling a product mm-hmm. like an iPhone versus the services we sell as lawyers, uh, a trademark typically applies to goods, although it's kind of used as a catch-all, and then a service mark applies to services. And then there's also trade dress, so okay. the shape of a product, um, the color, like the UPS brown, um, the way the Apple store looks, there are all sorts of product design and packaging that um, can be quote unquote trademarked and that's considered trade dress. So there's a bunch of different kinds, but trade trademarks, dress. people know what you mean. I love it. I Jen, love Jen it. why is, and I've, you know, I know enough to be dangerous about <laughs> trademarks and, and registering them. And I've gone on, you know, the USPTO and gone through the, the process. Why is the, the, server database why is it so ancient or at least it, <laughs> it's it, not it, oh it's, well I, they got look. rid of it on november 30th okay well then oh. thank you. Be, good because yeah. every time i got on that i was like 
Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved crafting Boolean searches. It oh. made me feel like a hacker or a coder or something. I love doing it, but it's a whole new system now, actually. Well, that's, that's as of December first. So. Well, then I, I guess I need to start the process again. Yeah, you yeah, just have to learn more. more. Intuitive. It's much yeah. more intuitive. So, is it better to do the TIOS standard or the TIOS plus whenever you're doing your registration on that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, there's two kinds of applications and I, I, I know enough to be dangerous too about the actual pro- process, but I, I was curious. And then I have one more um, question. If you register your trademark, do you have to register it on a state level? Um, so if you, you do not have to, mm-hmm. there are times the state registration can be helpful if you can get a federal registration, uh-huh. that's the gold standard. Okay. Um, but to get a federal registration, you have to be using your mark in a certain way, right? So if I am in Atlanta and I'm only using my mark in Atlanta uh-huh. and I'm not crossing state borders and I'm not selling it online and shipping it, I'm not using it in interstate commerce, okay. then I actually can't get that federal registration. So in that case, and if you don't want to expand, then okay. a state registration does provide some benefits. But if you can get that federal registration, if you meet the requirements for it, it's always a better option because it's going to provide you with a lot more benefits. Oh, wonderful. That's such good information. That is good to know. Um, okay. Well, we had a big Supreme Court case this year that had to do with um, trademark, and it was about the Jack Daniels. There was a dog toy um, that looked like the Jack Daniels bottle, and I think they were relying on sort of the parody, the fair use for mm-hmm. in parody, and the Supreme Court found, you know, found that no, that was not acceptable. They were infringing on the trademark. Am I summarizing that case? Yeah. So essentially, right. what they said there was one test that people had been applying in sort of First Amendment parody. Mm-hmm artistic cases right and um what the supreme court said was that when something is being used as a source okay identifier so here the branding looked like the jack daniels brand which is right uh, sort of identified jack daniels as the potential source or a sponsor or affiliated with this company then that test doesn't apply and Uh the normal likelihood of confusion test applies and so essentially what it what it did was have us start at the beginning with is the thing a source identifier meaning does it indicate to consumers that this came from a certain place from a certain brand from a certain company and if the answer is no then we still apply that old test maybe the supreme court didn't comment on that piece of it okay Um, but if the answer is yes it is a source identifier then we do our standard likelihood of confusion test which you would use in any typical trademark case and so what what impact do you think this having on the industry I, i just saw a case i think come across that was that relied on the Supreme Court decision to decide it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In my practice, it actually hasn't had that huge an impact. Really? I loved it academically. It's uh-huh. fun to, to think about. But when you're thinking about your standard trademark case, right, someone is mm-hmm. using a logo that looks like yours and they're using it in a very typical way, right, to sell their goods and services. Right. Um, or they're using a word mark and so there's no artistic piece, no real potential for parody. Um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't come into play. And so I, I think that... The First Amendment issues, the parodies, the fair use stuff, um, we don't get to see it as much, even though it's a fun and cool issue to talk about. But it's great to have the guidance. Um, it's really nice and unusual for us to get that guidance directly from the, the Supreme Court. Well, fantastic. That Thank you for explaining that to us. Well, it's just been lovely having you here on the Zealous Advocate podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. 
um, to come on here and talk about coaching, the value of it, and to, to noodle a little bit on trademarks as well. Um, Thanks. I'm always happy to do both. Yes, absolutely. It's enlightening. I realize I need coaching now, Misty. Maybe that's me thinking in the negative again, Jen. But. No, it's great. It's so great. It's, it's really been life-changing for me, and I'm so happy to help other people no, do that's it. That's awesome. Well, I will say Jen is a great follow on LinkedIn, and definitely go check out her web website, Jen Deal Coaching. Um, I think for all of us, no matter how wonderful of attorney we think we are, we could all um, get something out of coaching, honestly. Yeah. You get better and feel better. There's always the opportunity to feel a little bit better, which to me is the ultimate goal. It, yes. it, it should be the ultimate goal. You're absolutely right. To all our viewers, thank you for joining us. Um, follow us on Spotify. Give us some stars. Give us some love um, and, and keep watching. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to follow us wherever you get your podcasts.